Hello, everybody. You're listening to The Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 426. Rodrigo is City's Real Nightmare. Chillians, and welcome back to the Big Chill Podcast. I'm Frank, joined as always with Eddie. Eddie, how's it going? Yeah, been a good week. Happy that it's a weekend. Unusual recording time for us is a Friday evening, so and slight, and you're not, slight change of speed. You're not out at the bars drinking. I'm not, no. No, it's a Friday night in for me. Wow, a rare one. Well, I mean, I have some weekend plans. On Sunday, I'm going to, uh, to rugby to watch the uh, Racing Metro playing Sale in the European Cup quarterfinals. So going to be out sun- Sunday afternoon, evening. So Friday night in to rest, nice. save up some energy from the weekend. Are you just going to all these rugby batches now so you can try and convince the other supporters that you can kick a rugby ball out of the <laughs> stadium? Are you just literally not even watching the match, just going, hey, you, you, three rows back. Do you think I could do it? I'll bring up the topic. I tell you what, I'll try and pull the people around me. I mean, this is a much bigger match than the one, the last wrestling match I went to, but it will still have the same idea. You still have the post. You have the DJ going onto the pitch after the after the game and and uh, like the little party on the pitch. So I'll still be down there, and and who knows? Maybe if the situation presents itself, I'll try and hit the roof. But I think it's unlikely. Okay caught myself going through another BuzzFeed article, Eddie, and I think it's a pretty good one that maybe you'd enjoy. So it's a let's play a game of would you rather A to Z food edition. So why don't you pick a letter and I'll tell you the options and you tell me which one you would rather. All right. Well, tell me how many, because we're not going to do. I mean, there's every letter. That's what I'm saying. So pick pick a letter. Okay. Oh, so we're just going to do one. We can do a few, but okay, go ahead. Let's say we'll do three. Okay, we'll do three. That way will influence my selection. I got to say before we start, for all the knock, you like, you consistently knock BuzzFeed, but you're obviously <laughs> a huge reader of all of their content. It's I knock it, but a, I am a gold star member of the BuzzFeed. Yeah, you probably have a paid BuzzFeed plan that doesn't even exist. Um, <laughs> let's kick things off. I'll just go with an E. An E. Go with my name. Okay. Yeah. Ooh, pretty good one. Enchiladas. I knew it was going to be enchiladas. I wanted to guess enchilada, but... Do you want to guess any other ones real quick? Well, the other E? There's four. Oh, there's four. Oh, no, no, no. Just just keep going now. Enchiladas, egg rolls, ego waffles, and eclairs. Um, So... Purely based on nostalgia, I'm going to go ego waffles. Wow. Not what I yeah. thought you'd go for. I mean... You look like an egg roll kind of guy to me, Eddie. <laughs> see, I'm not. Because, I mean, the American egg roll kind of doesn't exist anywhere else. Okay. So it's not something... But wouldn't that really also get. be nostalgia? Do egg waffles exist anywhere else? <laughs> no. But I didn't eat a ton of egg... <laughs> Surprisingly enough, didn't eat a ton of uh, uh, egg rolls as a kid. But yeah, egg waffles... I mean, I've made people bring egg waffles back from the it's US. Tough, tough bring because they're usually frozen. Yeah, and they <laughs> unfreeze. <laughs> How many thousands of dollars does someone spend to bring them frozen for you? 
<laughs> no, I mean they're they're like soggy by the time they get back. But if you eat them within the, the kind of pretty quickly, they're they're still good. They survive. F- tip for anyone in the future: you can do it. They're they are really good. And what I think what makes Eggo waffles really good is they have this fine line of being able to be crispy but also soft at the same time. Whereas if you get other frozen waffles and you leave them in just a tad too much in the in the toaster, there's like no softness. They're just super crunchy and crumbs everywhere. Yeah. But for some reason, the probably the um, non-real components of the Eggo waffle make it both crispy and soft at the same time. <laughs> I mean, you and I once had quite a few Eggo waffles in Cleveland, if you remember. No. <laughs> That's not surprising. But yes, this is an event that happened. Uh, you, we had Eggo waffles as like a late night stack after a bar. Oh, night. then then double no. <laughs> <laughs> Be glad I still remember we went to Cleveland together. <laughs> <laughs> okay, got another letter? Oh, actually, wait, 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 wait. Before we leave that one. Not a fan of the eclairs? I like a good eclair, but I'm not. I'm not going out of my way for one. Okay. Maybe in part that's um, not appreciating them as much as I might otherwise, just from being in France and like you can get a good one pretty yeah. easily. I was going to say, so if you walk into a patisserie and you're really in the mood for some sort of pastry snack, it's not going to be the the eclair. It might be, but I'm I'm not actually a big okay. like sweet pastry person. So you'd rather walk into a kebab stand and. <laughs> I mean, no, but like if I went to a boulangerie, I'm much more likely to get like a croissant or a pain au chocolat or something like that. Okay. For, so it's, it's just not, it's not something I'd have frequently, but it would be high on the list if I had to pick something from um, that type of food. But yeah, if I had to rank them in order, I'd go Eggo waffle, enchilada, eclair, egg roll. Wow. A lot of hate for the egg roll. It's not hate. It's still still good. But all right, let's go. Let's go. Your name, F. Okay. Oh, this is pretty pretty random. Fudge. Fries. French toast, which is funny because they did Oof. fries, not French fries, but then they do French toast <laughs> and other, other. fried chicken. Oh, that's a pretty strong. That's a tough one. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm going to just toss fudge out. Like fudge doesn't fudge even is last. Do, I'm not a fudge. fudge I'm not a chocolate person, and I'm particularly really not a fudge person. No. Also, you rarely get good fudge, I find. Like yeah. for every, it's like a one in a hundred times that you have fudge, it's actually pretty good. When it is good, it's great. And, and when it's good, it's super expensive. You go to those like true. specialty stores where you want, oh, I'll bring someone back fudge. And it ends up being $45 for two little bars of fudge. I also find you very quickly have your fill on fudge. Yeah. <laughs> How many times can we say fudge? <laughs> well, but, but yeah, no. Um, so yeah, fudge doesn't even deserve to be okay, on Okay, so list. you're left with fries, French toast, and fried chicken. So I kind of feel like the objective assessment is that fries has to be number one. They Just wouldn't that, be for me. No, but I mean the objective, like what is the king of those foods in terms of most widely loved, a kind of a larger staple of what people eat, you know, goes well with a lot of stuff. I think fries fundamentally should be top. But in terms of my preference, 
I'm going to put French toast, number one. All right. Any I'm, reason I'm gonna, in particular? I really like French toast. Okay. I'm a big fan. In terms of like, if you're going to have a breakfast that you've put effort into, I like French toast. I'm even not opposed to sometimes when you go to certain restaurants where they do French toast as a dessert. I like that too sometimes, uh, which is all, which is much more common in France than finding French toast as a like brunch breakfast meal. Now, let me ask you this. Uh, Have you ever had the Monte Cristo sandwich? That is basically the French toast with the grilled cheese and ham on the inside. I've had it once. Honestly, I think it's it's, pretty good, but it's it's a lot. I'm not a fan. It's a lot. It's too much. It's too much. It's 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 taking too many good things, putting them together, and the, the kind of the Frankenstein result is not as good as the actual individual yeah. pieces. Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll. I'm put surprised you chi- didn't go fried chicken first. No, I'll put fried chicken second. I I think fried chicken gets hurt in the same way that fudge kind of gets hurt. You get a lot of bad fried chicken. You know, but like, if I if I told you this was good fried chicken, but you can't. Sometimes people have told me. Sometimes people have told me it's good fried chicken and it's terrible. It's greasy and just like the skin falls off and you just feel bad after. You, like, I'd say fifty percent of the time I eat fried chicken, I feel terrible afterwards. Like there is a regret with fried oh, chicken yeah. that you don't have with French toast. I'm not saying French toast is good for you, but you know what I mean. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. a lot of a lot of times you eat fried chicken, and immediately afterwards, yeah. like, I wish I had not done that. I've got two great fried chicken stories. Actually, they're 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 connected. But so, for the longest time, we used to have parties at at my parents' house. Uh, my parents used to have parties, and fried chicken was always one of the foods, and we would get it locally, and everyone would rate like, "Oh my god, this fried chicken is the best fried chicken I've ever had. It's so good. It's so good." So after like several years, we found out. My mom was just buying it from the supermarket. It was like the supermarket's version of fried chicken, but it was the best fried chicken anyone's ever had. So it's just so funny. It's just such a random, just this one supermarket down where my parents live had this amazing fried chicken. Then fast forward later into that night, uh, one of our friends, Abe, was (laughs) eating late night fried chicken after a particularly... Uh, rowdy night of drinking. <laughs> His girlfriend, now wife at the t- well, girlfriend at the time, now wife, was so angry at him that she threw a chicken breast in his face, <laughs> <laughs> and it was like he had crumbs and and oil all over his face. But the best part was it was in front of fifteen of my family members who are all just sitting nicely, casually at like at the, in the living room next to the, where the kitchen was just having a conversation. And then these two started fighting. And within 10 seconds, there's just a chicken in his face. <laughs> so my family still talks about it. Abe is known as the, the guy who got the chicken in the face. <laughs> hey, it's not the worst for, for every time someone's told me there's that the fried chicken is going to be good. I'd say there's like a 50% hit rate. So that's why I can't really, really good fried chicken. Hey, look, you could give me really good fried chicken with Echo Waffles. We got a great meal there. Yeah. But, but now I I can't put it above. Yeah, I, it's got to be number two. French yeah, I'm, toast. I'm exactly the same order. Um, because I'm just thinking the one of the best breakfasts I've ever had is a French toast dish uh, at this really good breakfast place in Toronto where it was bacon cheddar stuffed french toast i heard 
I heard if you complain about allergies there, you can get a free meal. <laughs> yes, several times. <laughs> if your if your eggs aren't cooked well enough, you can complain yeah. and they'll give you a second one. And then you say that they're still not cooked well enough. And then they just give you anything you want for free. <laughs> yeah. All right. Final letter. Let's go in memory of our former co-host. Let's go. Let's go. Oh, wait, this. real quick. Do you want to know what the number one answer was? Because there was I bet you okay, 40, so the number one votes. so the number one answer for E, I'm gonna say was egg roll. Enchiladas, thirty two thousand votes. That makes sense. Egg and roll. I'm gonna second. say fries were the number one answer for F. Fries, forty six percent versus thirty two of fried chicken. They're the people's choice. It makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah. All right, give us an S then. An S for the squid. Ooh, this is tough. Soft pretzels, sushi, steak, or s'mores? All right. Well, I'm, t- I'm tossing two of those out. Soft pretzel, it's gone. S'mores, it's gone. <laughs> Wait, but before you toss them out, you go to a ball game. You don't want a nice, good, soft pretzel at a baseball game. No, you know beer. me. If I'm at a base, I'm at a baseball game. I want an ice cream sundae in an, in a baseball helmet. That's what in I an want. adult size baseball helmet, not those little kid no. ones. Um, no, yeah, s'mores and pretzels are gone. Um, so this is really just a contender. This is a competition between steak and sushi, which is a tough one. I'm going to give the edge to steak, just because. A really, really good steak to me is going to be more enjoyable than good sushi. But then if you told me, you know, like if I have to eat one of them more frequently, I'd probably then still choose. I choose sushi because you got more variety there, obviously. But yeah, I'll put steak one, sushi second, and then the other two, they're not even in the picture. Yeah, it'd be close. So my question to you is, if you're eating a steak, are you eating for quality or quantity? Like you go to a steakhouse, are you getting a filet mignon or are you getting the 48-ounce porterhouse or ribeye? Um, qu- quality, for sure. So you're getting that, you're getting that petite filet? <laughs> oh, I mean, yeah. I, anyway, in Europe, you kind of don't have a choice. It's not like you're getting American-sized steaks anyway. So it's all relative, but... Yeah, I'm going to go quality over quantity in that respect. Yeah, I eat a, I probably eat more sushi than I do steak, which is a weird thing to think about now that I think about it. I think that's probably true for me too. Yeah. I, I feel as if I have to be in the minority there of Americans that are eating more sushi than they are steak. Yeah, I mean, especially as you don't live anywhere near to a body of water. <laughs> yeah, sure. Oh, nice, fresh desert sushi. Um, yeah. I mean, ironically too, we've picked S obviously in, in remembrance of Sam, he does not eat seafood. So sushi would not have been on his list. Surprisingly, sausage wasn't on S. (laughs) He eats too much of that, but he has the palate of a four-year-old. So (laughs) if only he were here, he might've picked s'mores. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, now, uh, and I think the I think the winner there is probably steak. Steak was number one answer, forty yeah. percent. All right, so 
we've kicked things off with your your poll as usual, but it's now been a while since we've seriously discussed any sports, so it's probably time to take the podcast back to its roots and get into a discussion about uh, this week's major sporting news. And I guess the big, in, in what was otherwise a relatively quiet week, although you have the NBA playoffs going on, and maybe we can make some. And NHL playoffs. Of, and the Stanley Cup playoffs as well. But not too eventful in that respect so far as it's just the, uh, you know, it's still early on in those playoff rounds. The big news, obviously, the Champions League semifinals, which wrapped up this week. Liverpool survived a scare against Villarreal. They were 2-0 down and the tie was level after what looked like they you'd expected them to cruise through after the home leg. But then in the second half, the Villarreal keeper seemed to... I mean, he had one of the worst second... He had one of the worst halves of football you can have but, as a goalkeeper. Yeah, so we could discuss this more, but he had one of the worst halves, but then the last 10 minutes decided to change course and become yeah. a good, good keeper again, where it was to the point where you and I both text each other at the same time, Oh, he must have taken Liverpool second half. But then I texted later on, he must have taken 3-2 exact score because he had like two brilliant saves at the end that in, in comparison to how bad his mess-ups were 30 minutes earlier, you would have never thought he could have made that save with 10 minutes left. He had two of them that were pretty phenomenal saves. So he yeah, must have had a correct score. In particular, right, the first goal that he lets in, the Fabinho shot through his that he allows to go through his legs i mean it's just an unforgivable mistake from a goalkeeper and it happened at such a crucial time like liverpool were gaining control of the match and it was it was only two all so it's not like they were about to go out but you still felt as if if you were villarreal they could have held on for another 10 minutes you start to get into the moment where liverpool would start to feel as if they're running out of time to win it in in regular time i still think no matter what would have happened liverpool were going to score so and then, you know, really there was a difference between that first half and the second half. In, in many ways, it kind of reminded me of almost what we saw from them against City in the league a couple of weeks ago, where their first half performance was just so bad. And then they seemed to collect their thoughts at halftime and just come out and be so much better. But yeah, that was, so, you know, that was, I think the other, only other talking point, another thing that we discussed over the course of that match, you have the Sadio Mane goal, the third goal. Which, I mean, at that point, they were two goals behind on aggregate, so it kind of didn't really matter what happened. That he's able to uh, intercept a, a pass from a Villarreal defender, and you've got the goalkeeper charging out kind of recklessly, probably doesn't need to. He could probably take up a better position than that. At some point, either as either the defender or the, as either the goalkeeper or the defender who was able to get back, you needed to just decide you are willing to get sent off and just take Sadio Mane down. Like there has to be a moment where you realize he's going to score no matter what. And okay, us being down to 10 men definitely won't help us, but we're not going to score three goals. Yeah. So I may as well sacrifice myself here and just, you know, chop him down at the knees and immediately start walking towards the tunnel, not even wait for the referee's <laughs> decision and just accept it. That, that was the only kind of real takeaway I had from that. Yeah. I actually, just quick aside, I was playing hockey last week and I had one of those where I blatantly, blatantly tripped someone 
not purposely, but I had my stick out and he just ran right into the stick and fell over. And I literally just skated into the penalty box before the play was even over. And my team was like, why stay out, stay out. Like, why are you going in there already? You know, like the play hadn't stopped yet, but I was like, ah, fuck it. (laughs) It was like so blatant. (laughs) Sometimes you just know. Yeah. And then, I mean, the big shock was the Real Madrid, Manchester City second leg, you know, with, Manchester City minutes away from qualifying they were one nil up they had several chances to score went incredibly close to scoring the second goal which you say would have killed off the tie fundamentally when Mares scored to put them one nil up I thought that killed off the tie yeah I mean I really didn't see a situation where Real Madrid scored two goals in the remaining time so you felt like it was already dead and buried anyway and they'd been in total control of the match for the most part and actually after they scored became even more in control and then just you know, Real Madrid did not have a shot up to, on target up until the 90th minute. They then produced two shots on target and scored two goals in the space of about 90 seconds and turned the tie yeah. on its head. If, if, it's, you're, if you're a City supporter, are you more frustrated with Ederson or Grealish? Because Grealish so, missed two... two amazing scoring opportunities. I mean, the, the first one you're talking about that, that basically he put to the line and the defender yeah. kicked out. And then the other one was almost just as bad as a miss. So I think Grealish is getting a little bit of unfair flack, you know, cause I think he's carrying that price tag obviously from the summer and, and so far he probably hasn't justified it. So he is a little bit of a whipping boy. Like whenever things go wrong for city, it's, it's a, it's an expression, Frank. <laughs> it's, he's, he, he's, uh, every every time something can you get live for that? <laughs> you know that he is the he's, he's the fall guy at the moment. It's it's pretty easy to blame him over other players who have a history of delivering for the club. So you, and you can kind of understand where it's coming from because you don't spend a hundred million pounds on a player to have him be a super sub who's not even super. But you know, in the first one, so when he goes around Courtois and he. Get, has the ball cleared off the line. I think in fairness to him, I think what Courtois did was kind of insane. And so the fact that he was suddenly able to get around Courtois, I mean, I think he's not shooting. He's trying to square the ball for Foden. Yeah, I, I think I, he is too. And that's actually his undoing because he actually has a big area of the goal to aim for. And I think it happens so quickly. And I don't think he even suddenly can even process the fact yep. that there's nothing in front of him all of a sudden because Courtois has just thrown himself out of the way, basically for reasons unknown. And, and so if he'd been able to, in that moment, gather his thoughts, he's also slipping. So that's yeah. not helping him. Uh, so I think he's just kind of putting the ball across. Yeah. When, I'd actually when I first more... saw that, that's what I thought he was doing as well. I don't think he realized that he just had a no. wide open net at the, no. at the time and was just trying to play it in, which wasn't the wrong play because yeah. ha- th- I think what really kills him in that, play was what you're talking about he's kind of falling and he isn't able to either one put a harder shot on the net or two put a better ball more into the middle and not towards the line had he put it more into more off the line a little bit i think they would have someone would have hit that in no problem but he kind of got he got caught in the middle there with like yeah it wasn't hard enough and it wasn't in the right spot yeah and and look i mean so it's a little bit unlucky I don't think he deserves too much criticism. In that, I'd actually be more critical of Foden, who, I mean, it's amazing that the ball doesn't go in because obviously it's a good initial clearance anyway. 
but the fact that they, I mean, the ball kind of gets immediately sort of just hit into Foden and how it doesn't rebound in from inches off of the line is kind of amazing. But I actually think the real criticism there lands at Foden's feet, who should have just thrown himself at that ball. Like that should have been an absolute for him willingness to foul the defender in the process if he needed to, but he should have just been just throwing, you know, challenging for the ball, in which case I think he would have bundled it in. So I, and the second one, it's a good chance and you would expect someone to score it, but it's also, it's not the worst miss in the world. Right. So, I mean, yeah, he deserves a little bit of criticism. Ederson. I mean, he also, Ederson didn't do too much wrong necessarily with either of the goals that get scored. I mean, fundamentally it was just naivety for Manchester City in the final few minutes, which seems so surprising because they have so much experience, both as a team. I mean, you're talking about a team that, you know, has won the Premier League multiple times, different cup competitions, made the Champions League final a season ago, made the Champions League semifinal. You know, they have so much experience within that team. And on top of that, players who have done things at other clubs at international level. And, and they... Their ability to just kill off that game, not from scoring even a second goal, which they came close to doing, but just in the final few minutes, not just from playing intelligently and seeking out soft. You saw a huge contrast. Real Madrid, although City nearly scored at the death uh, to make it 3-all, to to tie it on aggregate, to make it 3-2 and and level on aggregate when you had the Foden header and then Fernandinho stretching with the kind of very last player of the match. Real Madrid were so good in that extra time once they were winning of just wasting time of getting the ball into City's half, soft foul. Okay, we'll sit. 45 seconds is gone. A minute's gone. And they were just doing that so consistently. And City didn't do any of that. It's almost as if the worst thing that happened to City was actually scoring. Like part of me thinks that if City had had to, had been in a situation where they'd only been one goal ahead on aggregate for the remainder of the match, they would have just seen it out comfortably. But the fact that they got that cushion and suddenly it got to the sort of 89th minute and you think, well, there's no way they're going to score two. That They almost relaxed a little bit too much. Well, um, so that's actually a question I had for you is, I mean, maybe I'm off on this assumption, but when I think of City, I think of a team that is always putting pressure. They, 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 they can be up one nil, seven, seven. It doesn't matter. They're always still going and going and going and trying to continue to score. And at a point, like you're saying, is that the wrong move? I know you always hear the cliche of an offense, a good offense is the best defense. But is it, you know, like you're looking at it right there where they had what three, four scoring opportunities still because they're continuing to push it. But at the end of the day, it almost kind of was their undoing. Had they just sat back and just controlled the play, and instead of trying to push it with Grealish and just continue to bring it back, bring it back, waste time, they probably would have comfortably won. Maybe, but in the end, the goals that were scored against them weren't really conceded from Real Madrid hitting them on the break, right? So it's not as if their uh, going forward was their undoing. The one thing I will say is it's also interesting because in the past, some of their Champions League failures have been laid at the feet of Guardiola for actually not doing what City are and he's actually been too defensive previously he's played two holding midfielders you know he's had an, he's actually had a conservative approach famously he did it against Lyon he did it even last year in the final against Chelsea where they kind of played with no one up front and he just you know sort of packed the midfield and they they didn't play in their normal way I actually think he deserves some credit they played against Real Madrid for you know 
well, 210 minutes and played in their normal adventurous style, dominated possession for most, for large parts of it. I mean, I just, I don't know. There's just, there's a mental block there in some ways with the Champions League with them, which is kind of difficult to understand. I mean, I guess it's interesting. We have on our next episode, we've got a, a leading sports psychologist coming on might be an interesting opportunity to speak with him about maybe it is, you know, there is an element there of just feeling different because you're in the champions league versus if they had been in a premier league match where they probably would have had more composure in seeing it out. But I mean, it was shocking. I, I thought when it was, as I said, when they went, when they scored, when Mara scored, I thought it was over. I didn't even see Real Madrid scoring, let alone scoring twice. And certainly once, even when Real Madrid got the second goal, they got the, the, uh, the, the sort of equalizer on the night, but still behind on aggregate. There, I thought, well, they're not going to score a second with five minutes to go or whatever. I will say this. The referee in that match deserves a tremendous amount of criticism because, I mean, he they, you had Real Madrid players committing fouls that should have were clear bookings, including he allowed a, one player to commit two fouls that were clear individual bookings and didn't get booked for either one of them. And then... They get six minutes of injury time in the match. And then you have a second half, you have extra time where there's still been more fouls, uh, time wasting from Real Madrid. Then he play, and they somehow there's only two minutes of added time and he blows the whistle with like 15 seconds left in the added time anyway. And I know Real Madrid had the ball, but still it's just, I don't think it was an exactly, a, a, I don't, and City can't blame their exit on the refereeing performance, but it definitely wasn't a good one. No. How do you rank that semifinal in terms of watchability, both legs? They were both pretty um, exciting legs. I mean, that, that, I had fun watching both of those matches. The, the first leg was amazing. Yeah. The first leg is one of the best, I, w- I would say let's, maybe it was the best match of football this season, for let's sure. Let's put it this way the first leg. And the second half on of the second leg. <laughs> yeah. The, the second leg wasn't thrilling. It just had a thrilling twist. But the match itself wasn't amazing. But no, I think not... the, the first leg was, you know, if I, if, if when we get to the end of this decade, probably be in the list of the top 10 matches of the decade. And now we're looking at a repeat of 2018. Yes. Yeah. And this is you know, Salah's revenge match because he obviously, yeah, he, he got injured early on against Real Madrid in the final in 2018. You also had two pretty horrific goalkeeping errors in that final. One of the greatest goals in the history of Champions League finals was also scored in that final, which I think often gets overlooked by Gareth Bale. But yeah, I mean, Bale had two think, goals that match. Yeah. But one of them is yeah, special. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think Liverpool are heavy favorites. From a betting perspective, I think they're one to two favorites to lift the trophy. I think they should be heavier favorites than that because I think they will look back on what City were able to do against Real Madrid for large parts of those two two legs and think that they will create a lot of chances against this Real Madrid team. So, you know, I think they also, it's arguable that they maybe have more character than this current City team. So I... You know, I, I would be I would be very surprised if, if Liverpool don't win this. And and as I said, I think 
I think actually where we spoke about the first leg of the semifinals kind of got edited out of our podcast. And, and if you remember in our conversation, I said, I think City might kick themselves for not winning that first tie by two goals. And, you know, when you think about it, they conceded in the end three goals virtually at the death of those two ties. I mean, it's, you know, if, yeah. if they, if, if those, if, if either of those ties had ended seven minutes earlier, you know, then they, they qualified easily. But uh, I think, I think it, in a sense, it's denied us the opportunity to see the rare Champions League final between the two best teams in Europe. I know this Real Madrid team are very good. I just don't think that they are of the quality of Liverpool or City. That doesn't mean they can't win. But I think we would have had that opportunity to really see something almost historic in terms of the rivalry between City and Liverpool coming down to the death in the Premier League, playing each other in the FA Cup semi-final, you know, playing each other in the Champions League final. If it had happened, it would have really been just kind of a monumental back and forth. And it's a shame from that perspective that we're not able to see it. Yeah, and you say that, you know, that they're probably not the two best and that Liverpool are heavy favorites, but do you put any emphasis on the fact that although they probably don't have a better 11, they've gone through PSG, Chelsea, and City. So, you know, even if they're not play, even if they're not the better team in those matches, they're still yeah. somehow coming out on top. No, look, they, they, you know, it's a club obviously with a such a long history. It's packed full of players with a, a long history of winning. Ancelotti, one of the most experienced managers in world football, one of the most successful managers in world football. So you've got no lack of experience or quality. I mean, they, you know, I'm not trying to make out that they're a bad team. I think the thing to say is, I think they've been the second best for large parts of every one of those ties that you just mentioned. I mean, Chelsea probably should have knocked them out because, you know, once they'd switch and kind of regain the momentum in that uh, second leg, you would have expected them to go on to knock them out. City should have knocked them out. I think PSG, you know, in both first halves of their ties, of their tie, dominated and probably should have put the game to bed in either one of those halves and then allowed Real Madrid to come in. I think the scary thing from Liverpool's perspective, this Real Madrid team will come into this even if they fall behind, even if they're two goals behind. They won't. There'll be no self doubt. They'll that, know we've yeah. done this. We've we've done this before. Even if there's ten minutes to go, we can do this. We've we've been there, done that. So from a Liverpool's perspective, you are going to have to, you know, really yeah. put them put the game to. Uh, you know, you don't want to be two one up with five minutes to go, and and backs to the wall because yeah. every team drops deep when they're protecting a lead, and every team will get a chance if they're you know they've got ten minutes to try and throw everything at you. So, yeah, I, and that's and, and that's kind of what I'm what I'm getting at is I think. Liverpool is going to be facing a team that not doesn't have no fear, but won't be uncomfortable in being the second best team on the pitch because I think they have been the second best team for the last few matches, but yet are still finding ways to overcome that and win. Yeah. So I think from a Liverpool perspective, you have to be a little nervous. And also the fact that Liverpool haven't been playing the same quality. So kind of jumping into a team with better quality that is less nervous and less scared, they could get caught. Yeah. I'd be surprised. And and look, Liverpool have that same mentality in some respects, right? You can kind of, we've had moments where we could have written Liverpool off 
like that first half against Manchester City where they were really just being toyed with almost and they were able to come out in the second half and put in a much better performance even against Villarreal okay they were never behind in the tie but I mean that first half they were awful against and Villarreal were totally on top I mean it was one it was one of those matches where from Villarreal's perspective halftime came at exact at absolutely the wrong time like if you could have given Villarreal the option of like can we play can we can the halftime whistle blow in the 55th minute instead of the 45th so we can just have 10 more minutes against them before you know you, you would have they would have loved that but still you know they they're equally they have a resolve to them that not every side has so i'd just be very i think they have more defensive solidity than most of the teams chelsea have played against i mean real madrid have played against so far in the knockout stages and i mean they're as good going forward as any team in europe so i would just be surprised i don't think real madrid can afford to have a bad half against this liverpool team and they've had bad halves in pretty much every game they've played so far in the knockout stage of the Champions League. So, you know, this would take the best performance I've seen from Real Madrid this season, I think. I don't think this would take the best performance I've seen from Liverpool this season. I guess that's the easiest way to sum up why I think they should be favorites. So let me ask you one more thing then off of this. Now that City has lost this match, do you think they are more likely to win the Premier League given now that they have the extra motivation that they've been knocked out of Champions League or less likely because just the mentality of being frustrated and having lost and not making it to the finals net now, you know, they might slip up because they're playing frustrated or or angry or upset or sad <laughs> I, I think they're much less likely to win the premier league now i think that this could be just a, a, a potential knockout blow from a confidence perspective i think there could also be you know you've got guardiola openly i mean i don't think he's going to leave but you know some of his post-match remarks and press conferences he said well maybe i'm not the right manager to help maybe i don't have what it takes to have to get city to win the champions league you're gonna have players staff members kind of questioning themselves and picking yourselves up in the space of four days and getting to ready to go and in, okay, it's only Newcastle, but it's a must-win match because all of their remaining matches are must-win. That's a challenge in and of itself. And again, a topic we can talk about with our upcoming guest, the sports psychologist, sort of how do you pick yourself up from disappointment and immediately get back to the performance levels that you need to have? It's difficult. I think it's like having a golfer who's just had a really bad bogey and now is standing over the tee box, you know, and has to recompose themselves and, and get things together. And we'll find out if city have that in them, you know, I don't know. I don't know what, if you do, you know, there's also going to be some frustrated city players. He took Kevin De Bruyne off, you know, at a crucial stage. I think you're going to have a frustrated Kevin De Bruyne who thinks, and okay, he's constantly carrying injuries. He's a bit, worn down you can understand why he took him off at the time that he did but i bet you kevin de Bruyne thinks to himself i should never be taken off at a crucial stage of a match you left kyle walker on kyle walker could barely walk for the you know the latter stages of that match you left him on why can i not be i'm the best midfielder in the world why can't i be in there pulling the strings wasting time playing the right passes doing all the things that i do so i think there'll be frustrated members of the city team. It'll be interesting to see how much he rotates that squad now 
going into that match against Newcastle to see if some players kind of lose. You know, you had Sterling, who only came on as a substitute in extra time. He's probably a little bit annoyed, thinking to himself, if you'd presented me with the opportunities Grealish have, I'd probably score. You know, there's I have a knack of getting big goals for England and for a city, and I was sort of underused in that in that moment. And yeah, you have the risk that either players turn on themselves. It will be, I mean, it's going to be, in many ways, it almost makes the Premier League run-in more interesting because you now have another dynamic to assessing the city's performances. But I do think it means it's, it would surprise me less now if they suddenly slipped up. But I still think that they will win their remaining matches. The one thing to me it makes dead on, they're signing Holland in the summer. I mean, oh, there's yeah. just there's, <laughs> there's just no way they don't. There's no way they don't. I mean, already speculation was rife. You know, terms have been agreed, and he has this buyout clause, right, of 65 million pounds or 65 million euros, whichever one it is. I mean, the the wages he's going to be on are astronomical. They've maybe been helped, and this is in, in no way to make light of someone dying, but the fact that his super agent died not too long ago, Mina Raiola, of a heart attack, who is someone Guardiola hated, most people in football, world football hated and didn't want to work with at all. The fact that the agent's now out of the picture probably makes doing all of this business slightly easier. But I think, you know, Holland, and again, you know, said it, they're not, it's not like they're failing, but even in a match like that, you're, you are crying out for a center forward to score chances and also to hold the ball up. Again, it, you know, there's situations come in when you're winning, not even to score a goal, but a figure that you can play a ball to who holds the ball up and allows other players to get forward when you are defending, waste that little bit of extra time. And I guess, you know, there were obviously two other European competitions going on at the moment. The shock in some respects was Rangers making the final, able to overturn a, a deficit from the first leg and and, and beat Leipzig, which is, was a, a equally stunning in some respects. And so you've got, you know, British representation in the Europa League final there. And then from the, the newly the new competition, you have Roma who knocked out Leicester to make the final, which means Jose Mourinho is on course to be the first manager to win all three of Europe's competitions. Although obviously yeah, that's sort of crazy. as it's the new one, he's got the first opportunity, but still it would be an achievement that might not be matched for quite a long time. Yeah, and and West Ham and West Ham in uh, Europa, right? And then Leicester and Ch- in uh, Europa, whatever that Conference, one's called. Like, Conference. Yeah, you're, both. Yeah, both exits. Lost, yeah. Not a great yeah, one for Premier League. I mean, I mean, Leicester is struggling this season. So the fact that you have them, you know, competing even in Europe's third competition is kind of a shows a strength for the Premier League and losing to Roma narrowly on aggregate is there's certainly no shame in that even if Roma are not you know one of the best teams in Serie A necessarily and then West Ham surprising that they lost to Frankfurt although Frankfurt have been on this incredible run obviously having knocked out Barcelona in the previous round but still you would have kind of they would have gone into that feeling like they were favorites and I mean they were their their opportunity in the second leg was they, you know, they had a man sent off. And so once you are down on aggregate and down to 10 men, it's going to be very, very difficult. So 
I mean, the big story out of that is is this these social media videos coming out of Declan Rice supposedly accusing the the referee of potentially being paid for his performance. But yeah, it's uh, you know there were there were some interesting ties in all, th- all three levels. So I'm sure UEFA are are delighted. So how much hockey playoffs have you watched so far, Eddie? I've watched one and a half games. Wow. That's one and a half more than I would have thought. I watched all of the first game between the Bruins and Carolina. And I watched a bit bit of a random one. (laughs) To be honest, it's just the time that the games are on. So, you know, for me, like some of the games, I'll stay up late to watch an NFL game or even an NBA game if it's a really compelling one, but I'm not staying. You know, the, the late games are starting here at 4 a.m. So there's no way I'm staying up at 4 a.m. to watch a, a hockey game. Certainly not if it's not in the Stanley Cup finals. So, you know, the one o'clock games, I'm still up. So I kind of got suckered into that one. But been some good ones so far. It's it's. I mean, we, I think we say this every year about the NHL, but it's a very wide open playoffs, which is always nice, is that pretty much any team can win. And you know what they say, Eddie? You catch a hot you goalie hot, in the playoffs. Yeah, which is what I saw. I saw the, the Oilers, right, who came into it as pretty heavy favorites. And I know they won game two, but they lost game one. And that meant that their goalie had lost six consecutive playoff games. Now, yeah, not over a good the course of over the course of <laughs> I know, several, several seasons. Yeah, but but yeah, the opposite of a hot goalie in the playoffs. Yeah, you would have liked it. I, I listened to um, John Hamm, the actor, is a huge St. Louis Blues fan. Yeah, and there was an interview with him. They were discussing as the Blues were getting into the playoffs, and he said that too. He said, "You know what they always say: you get a hot goalie in the playoffs, you make a run." You got a bad goalie in the playoffs, you're out in four. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just think it's one of those things, right? You can, I could pretend to be knowledgeable about hockey in a bar for about 10 minutes, and I would just base most of my conversation with a, a random stranger on the, the, the idea of the kind of hot hand with the goalie. I think that's, you know, that's the best I could do. But uh, yeah, it's, it's just. It's overdone at this point. But now, not much of the Stanley Cup playoffs. I have watched quite a bit of the NBA playoffs, uh, which, you know, this round, uh, the the Grizzlies-Warriors uh, matchup is fascinating. And it's just an interesting one. I mean, John Morant is just, I mean unbelievable how quick his feet are and the stuff he's able to do the combination of just his ability to jump and stuff he does things there's just those moments when you watch he barely seems like a human at times in terms of just the athletic things he's able to do it's crazy and it's just interesting seeing a kind of a sort of aging warriors team going up against a young super fast super athletic team it's it's not necessarily a great matchup for them and you know it's 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 been compelling viewing. The other the other matchups seem to be going. I mean, the Sixers ruined by the Embiid injury, and then the Suns seem to be finding their refinding their form to at just you, the right time. After you mocked my Duca curse, 
Look, I didn't mock it. I, I quite like the Suns. I'm not a huge Chris Paul fan. I find him a little bit tiresome just because he does seem to have this massive chip on his shoulder. But and in some ways, I feel like he'll almost be kind of goes back to our conversation about Galarraga. I almost feel like he'll be hurt by winning a championship, not in terms of him personally, but I don't know sometimes whether it's better to be like Charles Barkley and be in the argument of like, are you the greatest player to have never won a championship? versus oh yeah chris paul won a title with the suns one year you know and then it's just like okay well he's definitely not the greatest player ever he's not the greatest point guard ever so now you're just you're not top of any list it's an interesting one i mean i, I guess long term you'd rather win the title and obviously you want the success in the moment but like i think charles barkley long term has probably benefited from the fact that he never won but yeah aside from that not the uh not the busiest i did want to bring up actually t- today in tennis Really interesting matchup between Nadal and the young pretender who's aiming to take over as the dominant force, potentially in world tennis, but most certainly on clay, Carlos Alcaraz, who, you know, has, has modeled so much of what he does on, on Nadal. And the two of them played a great match today in Madrid with Alcaraz eventually coming out on top. Surprising given the fact that he seemed to get a little bit injured in the second set having won the first set uh, and it felt like Nadal had kind of taken over the match. Not surprising given the fact that Nadal is returning from injury. So you don't Isn't really he always expect... returning from injury at this point. What was kind the last of, yeah. time you couldn't say Nadal is, what was the last time you could say Nadal is a hundred percent? Usually in the French open. 2003. <laughs> I mean, I think he probably will be for the French open. And I, I do think this is the interesting thing. I think, I don't know whether Nadal's almost happy he lost this because it gives him, he, he got, you know, a little bit of, you know, he got the workout through the legs and everything and a little bit of the experience and back in the arena. But at the same time, he gets a little bit more recovery time, not having to play the next, you know, the semifinal and the final potentially. And at the same time, he might feel as if a few people might be seeing chinks in the armor there from him having lost to Alcaraz. And he also barely snuck out of the previous tie against Diego Schwartzman. I think he might like that. I think he might go into the French open with him thinking, this is great. They think I'm vulnerable, but we're about to go to the place. I don't lose and I'm not going to lose. And in three sets, best of five sets, I definitely don't lose. So, so you, think it you might are the... as confident as ever on the Nadal at the post. Yeah. French it's open. five to four. It's printing money. I mean, like, <laughs> it just doesn't lose. I mean, it, well, it does sometimes, but only a couple times. And obviously it will start losing eventually, but I, I would be surprised. I mean, when you kind of look at it, Djokovic has looked vulnerable. So I'd be surprised if Djokovic is the one who's able to beat him, even though Djokovic is the only one who beats him in the French Open. It would surprise me if it's Djokovic. Alcaraz is the big threat, who's the third favorite in the betting. But you know, that's, this is a big stage for a young player who has no experience deep in majors. So, you know, I just think, and again, in even in this, even in the over the course of this match, which was only three sets, it felt a little bit like in the second set and the third set that the moment was getting a little bit big for him, and you could kind of tell that Nadal was comfortable. I mean, the break kind of came out of nowhere to give Alcaraz the advantage in the third set, but and then everyone else. I mean, Zverev who is winning in Madrid, but just looks unconvincing. 
and you just know he has a mental implosion ready to go at any moment. So, you know, you just can't trust him. <laughs> you could tell me he was two sets and and three match points against Nadal, and I still wouldn't trust him to win. So, yeah, and just everyone else. The other topic I wanted to mention to you, I mean, this Andy Murray comeback, he he eventually had to withdraw from this tournament and and didn't play his, his uh, I guess, last 16 match against Djokovic, but he played so well in the first two rounds beating two, you know, big players. Just, I don't think it gets the attention it deserves in terms of how incredible it is that he's managed to basically be unable to walk, to have the severity of a hip injury where pretty much every specialist told him under no circumstances should you come back, you should just retire, you should just, you know, be happy with the career you have and you should be happy if from now on you're even able to live a somewhat normal life with how you're gonna say be able to live (laughs) no but i mean legitimately you know you had specialist him being like your real concern is will you be walking 10 years from now not will you ever be playing a professional tennis match again so for him to be back and i mean not reaching the heights of his prime but still playing exceptionally well and winning matches against you know top players it's incredible. I think it deserves way more attention than it gets. In part, it's because it's tennis. And in part, it's because the tennis world is fundamentally dominated by three players. Maybe he'll get lucky because there's talk. You know, Nadal speculated that in a rare political statement from him, he was critical of Wimbledon's decision to ban Russian and players from Russia and Belarus from participating in Wimbledon this year. He said maybe players would have to do something about it Maybe Murray will get really lucky. All the other players will step aside and Murray will just get some clear path to the, because I bet you there's no way Murray wouldn't play. So wouldn't that be the way to lose like a big accumulator you have last thing is Nadal antipost and he, he, he bows out in, in defiance of Wimbledon. (laughs) Refuses to play the final. That would suck. Did you see, speaking of Wimbledon, did you see that, um, uh, Naomi Osaka is going to do mixed doubles. And did you see who the speculation is that she'll be playing with? Yeah, Kyrgios. Yes. Now, yeah. I'm not making light of mental health issues, but if there were one player you maybe don't want to play with, if you have some some mental health issues going on, I think Nick Kyrgios is the one you would not want to play with. Well, I guess there's two ways. Maybe you would because he's super relaxed. He's a head case, but he is very relaxed, right? He doesn't until take any he's of it not. <laughs> yeah, but he doesn't take any of it seriously, really. So you have that element. The one thing I would say, her big thing is she doesn't want attention. And if you want to avoid attention, you definitely don't want Nick Kyrgios as your partner, as we saw in the Australian Open. I mean, he he famously claimed right that he and that the he and his uh, doubles partner were the major attraction at the Australian Open and were getting more attention than even the women's singles final. You know he's going to bring a circus with him wherever he goes. So if you are Osaka and you did want to maybe not have the world's eyes on you at all times, not the smartest way to do it, but I mean, I'm sure he's fun to play with. And look, they'll be heavy favorites at that point if he they, if they do turn out together to win because I mean Kyrgios with the style of game he has he's fundamentally the best doubles player in the world I mean he has the talent to be the best 
tennis player in the world, but because his hands are so good and he's so good at the net, and then you combine that with his big serve, he's the best double. He's kind of a dream doubles player. And so you then have someone <laughs> Until with he talent. throws his racket at you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you, and then you have someone with the talent of Osaka. You, they, they should be difficult... Although oftentimes what ends up happening is you get to a point where it's if she's in the in the latter stages of the singles tournament, the mixed doubles is just a drag because you're just adding additional matches and at a certain moment you you give up almost on the mixed doubles because you want to take the singles more seriously. But yeah, I mean they'll be a force to be reckoned with if they are out there together. All right. I guess that's we've covered a wide range did, did we want to dip our toes a little bit into the horse racing slightly? A quick summary of what's been going on. We've had some big races in, over the last few days in England between you know, the, the guineas, both the 1,000 and the 2,000 guineas last weekend. You had the Chester Festival midweek this week, which has interesting, you know, has implications for the Derby and the Oaks in England you, later in the season. Well, not too far away. Then you have the Kentucky Derby tomorrow which and then you also have the lock-in stakes next week at newbury so it's this is really the moment where flat racing around the world kind of takes off i don't know yeah. if you had any major yeah we are jump starting the flat racing season for sure no i mean I've, well i guess the one thing is i this is you mentioned cleveland earlier in the podcast and then lo and behold an aiden o'brien horse named cleveland wins the chester cup today <laughs> yeah so we missed the boat on that one. <laughs> yeah, we did. Yeah. yeah. If, I, if I'd let Missy choose the winner of that race, would have been rolling in the money. Yeah. But, I mean, and look, a, a fabulous week for Aiden O'Brien in general, particularly the Chester Festival. And Ryan and, Moore. And Ryan Moore. I mean, I, I will say this. I mean, Ryan Moore... You had to de- definitely give him his credit because with the exception of maybe one of the winners where he did come a little bit off the pace, he fundamentally just rode the best the way. You ha- <laughs> well, no, not the best. No, because I think when he lo- when he won, um, actually when he beat an O'Brien horse earlier, uh, an a- uh, Joseph O'Brien horse, I, the name's going to escape me from earlier. He definitely wasn't on the best horse. But what he did do I mean, Chester is a lot of tight turns, right? And it's a really short straight. You need to be up with the pace and you probably need to be leading going into the straight. And Ryan Moore, when, you know, sometimes we're critical of him for trying to kind of come from miles back and wind his way through a field and hit the front and it's spectacular. You got to give him credit. He rode Chester the way you have to ride Chester. There can be no doubts about that. And I think a few other jockeys probably might look back on him and think, Oh, if that if that race had taken place on any other track, my horse wins. But I allowed Ryan Moore to dictate that race in a way that you simply cannot at Chester. But yeah, and then Kentucky Derby. Do you have a selection? Yeah, I think I'm sticking with the Baffert horse, who's only had two starts, uh, Tabia or Tabia. I don't really know the correct pronunciation, pronunciation, but the big knock on it is it's only done only had two career starts and you need to have so many starts to race in a race like the Kentucky Derby but that's kind of starting to go out the window even in American horse racing which is good to see um I think I don't buy a lot of that if a horse is that much better I think it can overcome 
some inexperience. I, I think the experience aspect is kind of a little overplayed, especially in America. You saw that with Justify. When Justify came on, it hadn't raced very much and then just won almost every race it raced. But um, so I'm going to go with Tibia. And then the outsider that I like is Tiz the Bomb, which is out of Hit It a Bomb, which was a classic Ryan Moore win at the Breeders' Cup. If you remember that a few years back now, that had to be like five years ago now. But uh, Tiz the Bomb, I think, is a pretty good long shot, 20 to 30 to 1. And his race race pretty well it got second in the breeders cup last year to modern games the uh appleby and buick course in whatever that was the turf um juvenile turf i believe so it is going from turf to to dirt but i still think it's for the price it's a really good horse so maybe in each way on that yeah i mean i I don't think i'm going to be too original in my selection I mean, I think the big concern, right, is is if there's a possibility of it raining. And I'm I'm not a fan of dirt races in the rain. I I know you have you're the usually the one of us out of the two of us who hates sports that are influenced by the weather for the most part. Yeah, you know, I, I I like football in the snow. I don't mind it raining or snowing in a, in a you know like a, a Premier League match or whatever. But this. You know, when you really see, and we've seen some in recent years, right, where it's, it's just awful. been, it's slop. And it's it so just gross. turns, it turns the race into a little bit of a joke. It kind of throws all form out the window for the most part. I mean, I know that they'll, you'll have those people who say, oh, this horse loves the mud. But as you kind of touch on, that becomes a more and more difficult assessment to make when you're having horses, you know, maybe only have three or four races under their belt and may never have raced in you know, difficult weather conditions. So hopefully it doesn't turn into an actual absolute mud. I'm going to side with the favorite in Epicenter. I just think I've been impressed with, with what I've seen so far, but I mean, I, I I watched Tis the Bomb earlier in the season and it was impressive. So I I do agree with you that at such a big price at 33 to one, it could be, you know, an interesting each way bet and, and maybe even has a chance of actually winning. So actually, I think in the States, the favorite is uh, Zandon. So yeah. Epicenter's second favorite in Zandon. Uh, just won its last race out, which is, I think, the Bluegrass. And it won pretty definitively. So everyone kind of jumped on board on, on Zandon after that emphatic win. So, But Zandon and Epicenter are pretty close to, to joint favorites at this point. So, But the thing I'm really excited about, I mentioned the lock next week, and that's the return of Bayid. I think my favorite horse in training at the moment. So I'll be uh, looking forward to seeing that. You always have that concern, you know, when a horse from one season to the next, just if they're able to carry on their form, if they, you know, that extra year, some horses don't, can't transfer two-year-old form to three-year-old form or three-year-old form to four-year-old form. So you kind of, there's always just that element of doubt until you see them really do things. And all of the noises coming out, are suggesting that Bayid will be even more of an unstoppable force this season based on what it's shown over the winter. But yeah, you, you, you know, always like to see one good race before you're, before you're certain. And it seems as if the racing community still believes it is a very formidable opponent because there are not 
not much in the way of competition in the lockings right no. now. Uh, it is a one to two favorite, and the next next best horse is four to one, and that's Mother Earth, which is yeah, a, is, a, know, is a good horse, but at the end of the day, is nowhere near in comparison to a horse like Baid. No, but that's also one of the scary things too, right? Because it has that it has it written all over it that you'll have Baid coming in as just the expectation that it's going to be an absolute superstar and carry on what we saw last year. And then there's just going to be Mother Earth for O'Brien, probably with more on board, produce its best performance of its career. We'll never hear from it again. You know, it will finish sort of seventh in a few more races over the remainder of the season and get retired before the season's even done. But we'll have burst the Baid bubble before, you know, as the season gets underway. But hopefully... You know, I, we've discussed it before, right? I'm a big believer that the the sport of horse racing needs superstars. This idea, I like seeing upsets in some sports. I like seeing parity in some sports, but for horse racing, horse racing to really thrive, you need two or three superstars at any one time. Where I think you want people to turn up, not even to bet, just because they want to see the experience. And every once in a while, that reaches a frenzy with like Frankel level, but even just you want the sort of Batash Stradivarius kind of hanging around where, yes, it might not lead to the most thrilling races, but it is, it is good for the sport itself. So anything else, Eddie? Anything else in the way of sports? No, I mean, I think we were all over the park there. We did Champions League, yeah. Any sport NBA, we NHL, cover. horse racing, no cricket. <laughs> No American football. No American football. I did talk to someone today from New Zealand. I had breakfast with someone from New Zealand, and uh, I discussed cricket, and he said, I'm the first American he's ever met that even closely understands cricket. <laughs> and we were talking about the uh, what now, what, what was crazy is I was we were discussing the England-New Zealand Cricket World Cup, and I was trying to think when that was, trying to put a pin on the year. 2018, right? Or 19? 2019, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's quite a long time ago now when you think about it. It was the last summer before the pandemic, before yeah. the world changed. Because I remember last... I was home and I was yeah. watching it at home. And because I'll never forget when uh, the ball hit Stokes' bat. Yes. And, and went out. And, and at that point, even I had no idea what the rules were. And I remember trying to text you to figure it out. So then I could explain it to my father, who also didn't understand much about cricket. <laughs> so it was like a uh, relay. In fairness, right. I mean, fairness, right. The, the, the ultimate decision in the number of, of runs that they awarded there was incorrect. Was incorrect. Yeah. And I think it's, it's a rule. There's so no, no shame in you not knowing. <laughs> I, I think most people didn't know the intricacies of that rule, that it, it was the, you know, where the runner was at the number of runs that had been scored at the time the throw was released rather than at the time that it kind of made contact with the, with the batsman. So, yeah, I think it's a, it's a rule now that everyone understands, but at the time it was little known. And then what an epic super over that was. Yeah, no, I mean that's going to be a hard one to beat from a England cricketing perspective, right? I don't think I think that might be one of those where in the rest of my life there'll never be as thrilling a finish to a a cricket World Cup as an England fan. There will be better ones. If you're a New Zealand fan, there may well be a more enjoyable finish to a, a World Cup in the future. But as an England fan, it's probably pretty much as good as it gets to to clutch 
victory from the jaws of defeat and and win in that manner i think is is pretty much as enjoyable as it as it as it can be and there you go now we even touch cricket <laughs> yeah <laughs> just the nfl but we can save that for the next episode we can just quickly say that uh we'll probably end up talking about baker mayfield soon because yes. all reports are it's getting very bad in Cleveland. Yeah, speaking, we, we have mentioned Cleveland. Cleveland, this, this, is, this is our Cleveland-dedicated episode, apparently. We've mentioned Cleveland twice. This is the third Cleveland reference, it's, and yeah. So it's the, you know, the race is the good. The, the well, actually, waffles, no. good. Also, well, yeah, I was going to say the good, the bad, and the ugly, but I guess we don't have a bad. <laughs> no, the, the, the yeah. The good, the we'll good, the good and the ugly of Cleveland. We'll say the good, the sloppy, and the ugly. We'll throw the aggro waffles in the sloppy category. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, yeah, we can discuss Baker Mayfield in the next episode because, yeah, that is, it's turning into a minefield. <laughs> All right. I'll talk to you later. See ya. See ya.